Welcome to Coffee and Conservation, hosted by Dr. Beth Baker, Assistant Extension Professor in the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Aquaculture at Mississippi State University. From water and soil to habitat and food production, Dr. Baker and her guests discuss the necessity and complexity of conservation in the U.S. Okay, good morning. Welcome back to Coffee and Conservation. I am your host, Beth Baker, and we are back today with Mason Thomas, and he is an undergraduate here at Mississippi State University in our Wildlife, Fisheries, and Aquaculture program. Uh, he also has a concentration in wildlife agriculture conservation. And so if you haven't listened to our previous episode, go back and get into it where he talks about how he got into farming, uh, how he got started, what his operation looked like at the beginning, and what it looks like now, uh, seven years later in the process. So a really good example of a beginning farmer that capitalized on resources for beginning farmers. Um, if you didn't go listen to that episode, start there and then come back with us because today we are getting into a little bit more about how um, farming and his academic path have, have converged um, since he's in this, you know, egg conservation concentration now. And so Mason, you know, when we, well, first of all, thanks for being on the show again. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, it's always good to have you back. And in the first episode, you know, you walked us through the background of how you got into farming, which is fantastic um, and really unique, uh, be, being that you started at 17, uh, which is right before you started college too. So take us down a different kind of background now and tell our listeners a little bit about how you chose this academic focus and how you even decided on college Mississippi State and which program to go into. Yes, ma'am. So as I said in the previous episode, we, we, we didn't grow up farming, but I always grew up, I guess, outdoorsy, you know, the normal Southern, you know, hunting and fishing, that sort of deal. Um, so I already knew I had an interest in it, um, but I really originally was kind of geared towards getting the wildlife degree, but pre-vet and then trying to do that but as I was working with a our local vet I worked uh, in his office some um, during the summers and he kind of kind of taught me out of it a little bit uh, just kind of I was more interested in a large animal just from being you know the farming stuff and rodeoing and that sort of thing so I, I was I was more interested in a large animal and he basically said I'm gonna have to move out west and you know being 16 from a small town, you don't really think about, you know, moving out west. So anyway, uh, originally I was planning on coming straight to state from uh, high school, but I actually got a, I went to community college over here at East Mississippi to be on the rodeo team. And then from there, uh, did my, just so they only offered what, 30 hours worth of things that actually counted towards my degree. So Went from there to state, and I guess here I am. You know, you're here at Mississippi State University in our wildlife and fisheries, wildlife fisheries and aquaculture program. And I can say, you know, so I'm in a professor role now, but I did do my PhD here. And when I came here from Minnesota to Mississippi, I was blown away at how diverse, uh, especially the graduate program was. It seemed like everyone in the office was from Wisconsin, Minnesota, Indiana, 
Georgia, South Carolina, Texas, like all over the country. And so I was not, you know, I came for my specific PhD project, which was more related to water quality and reducing hypoxia in the Gulf of Mexico. But this program here is really well nationally known, um, especially our graduate programs, but our undergraduate program too. So how did you become familiar with the program and, and decide like, yeah, that's where I'm, that's where I'm going to go and I can make a living in areas of wildlife, fisheries and aquaculture. Uh, well, originally, um, going back to the, that neighbor that helps us farm back home, he, uh, like I said in the previous episode, he's a retired game warden. Oh, yeah. And so I was talking to him about different wildlife jobs and he, uh, of course, most people think, you know, when you say you're going into wildlife, they say, oh, well, you're going to be a game warden, you know, but I was, I wouldn't say not interested in that, but he had always told me I should do the biology side of it because, you know, it's a lot more, in his words, it's, it's a lot more thinking, a lot less fighting drunk people. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, um, so, it's not really what I would, yeah, what I would imagine, but yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because, yeah, uh, yeah. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, that was, you know, I want to stay in Mississippi, and this was really the, this was the only option, but now that I'm here, it's been the best option. Uh, and I mean, a lot of people from even different states come here and like, when they could go, it's, you know, say to Auburn or go somewhere, you know, there's a lot of people come here basically because it's yeah. such a good program. It's so diverse of a program. We have, what do we have? Six different concentrations now? Or is it just Yeah, five? I, I think five or six. Human, they had a human wildlife con conflict last year. Mm -hmm. And I think they have another one. Uh, a human, another human dimension side of it. So they work six concentrations now. Yeah. And I have been in the department, gosh, uh, nine years, eight or nine years now. And, um, since I've come here, it's just been great energy in the department too. A lot of growth in faculty positions. We got a new, we had a new department head come in. Um, <laughs> yeah. So plenty of exciting things happening in this, in the department in general that, builds great opportunities for our undergraduate students um, because there's more internships available, undergraduate research positions, all those different things. Even experiential learning within the classrooms with so much active research happening. Um, but to get back to how, how your studies are really converging, um, wildlife conservation, especially in agricultural lands, uh, is so critical because so much of our land in the Southeast is privately owned. And so private landowners have a really strong role to play in assisting with conservation of wildlife and, and even through their agriculture operations, whether it's livestock or row crop or specialty crops. Um, so in, in the seven years now-ish that you've been farming, give us a couple examples about how, you know, there are times when you've been on the property and you know, like a light bulb goes on related to, um, some of the things you're learning in the classroom about conservation and where that might fit in your operation, even if it's not now, like something you might want to try in the future. Yes, ma'am. So, uh, well, recently, I guess it's been a few weeks. I know I told y'all about it in a meeting. Um, one of my ideas that was, that I learned um, since I've been at school was about, you know, some adding edge habitat to the fence rows and things like that. Kind of the, the reason for the quail's demise, if you think about it that way, uh, 
a lot of people would say, you know, would be the, you know, clean farming that we've been doing uh, recently. It's, you know, back in the seventies and eighties, they, you know, we were, you know, not bush hogging fence lines and spraying everything and can't have things touching, you know, we've made it a lot cleaner than it used to be, but it's not really beneficial to wildlife as it is to our livestock. And so started not really, we've not been, like I say, in quotations, cleaning up the, the place as much uh, as far as bush hogging fence lines and just kind of letting it grow naturally yeah, in uh, fence. Okay. Right. Uh, except for, you know, in the, in the center of the pastures and stuff, we'll still, as we need to bush hog to get the mature grass down and, um, of course you still cut hay off of it, right. but the places where we don't have to, we have been stopping cleaning up, you know, like in the, you know, uh, areas of trees, we don't go in there and, uh, clean up the saplings and things like that. we don't, uh, around the creeks, we don't, um, clean up the, you know, kind of, kind of our own filter strips, like you could, mm -hmm. you know, apply for in the conservation practices, but we've been doing that just on our own. And, like I mentioned a few weeks ago, uh, found our first covey of quail over there. That if we haven't seen quail, well, I say we, I wasn't alive, but my dad said he hasn't seen quail over there in 40 years, 30 years, whatever it's been since the mid eighties. So that was kind of exciting. They, yeah. How, how excited were you when, when you, did you see him or hear him? Uh, I've heard them before. I've heard them once last winter, but I saw them for the first time through yeah. That's one foot across the gravel road in front of me. So yeah, very exciting. Uh, well, for two reasons. One, because it's, you know, something, you know, I don't know that I've done it, but I like to think it's something I've done. Mm -hmm. And also I have two uh, German short hair pointers. So maybe here, and <laughs> maybe before those dogs die, I'll, I'll be able to hunt a quail somewhere in Mississippi again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's super exciting. And, um, you know, what's, I think what's great about that too, is you didn't have to, to do that type of conservation. You didn't have to do anything expensive or invest in something. It was more of a passive conservation. You yeah. just kind of stopped doing something. Right. Yeah. And so if, I think it works better that way with me, just because we have such a, like a large amount of land and like a smaller amount of cows. So our stocking density is a lot lower mm -hmm. so that, you know, it's not really affecting that much on our bottom line. You know, the, the cows aren't starving because we, you know, put whatever five acres out of practice, you know, out of rotation just because, you know, there's a lot more cows or a lot, a lot more land than there is cows to graze it. So somebody with had a much higher stocking density or stocking rate would have a, a little bit harder time with that. But that's where the programs come in, you know. So. Right. Right. So that's what I, that's where I wanted to go next because in, in our first episode, when you got far, when you started farming, we got into your beginning farmer loans and all of those things. Um, but now that you're up and going, um, you mentioned the NRCS, which is natural resources conservation service programs that you're involved in. So just for our listeners, are you, do, which programs are you, are you into now? I should have made a note of the practice numbers, but well, you know, not uh, the practice numbers. Like, are you uh, enrolled in Equip, the Equip program, or CSP, or both? Oh, okay, sorry. Uh, I think it's. I think our things are Equip. Okay, CRP would be if you have any like conservation reserve program. 
Mm -hmm. We don't. Okay. Um, yeah. I so think it's just equip stuff. So if if you didn't listen to season one's episode on the farm bill programs yeah. and practices, this might not be coming back to you, but there are several different programs uh, that NRCS uh, across the nation has, and those are to assist farmers with basic land management uh, practices that support their operations and protect their natural resources. Um, they, they provide both financial and technical assistance for producers to do these different land management practices. Um, and so it's a little bit alphabet soup, but the, the two primary ones that working farms usually capitalize on are EQIP, which is the Environmental Quality Incentives Program. And you know, if you're pretty successful in EQIP, then you also usually get involved in CSB, which is the Conservation Stewardship Program for folks already doing conservation to do more. Um, so you said EQIP, right? Yeah. Okay, so any, and you don't have to have the practice numbers, but let's talk a little bit about like one or two of the practices that you've um, got on the farm after working through EQIP. Yeah, so uh, the, I guess the main one that we have made the most use out of is the, uh, actually, I, I know I mentioned it a while back. I know that number is 614. The water troughs. Water troughs, yes. That's, right? Yes, ma'am, that's that's been a really big help being able to cross fence as much as we have because without that we have on the place at home there's 50 acres or so and we have it cross fenced into one two three four four different pastures and there's only one pond so we would have had a hard time being able to rotational graze that place and really utilize it uh since it's such a small parcel um but yes with the water troughs we've been able to have it cross fence four ways and just have the the dual trough on each you know the dual you know where the fence separates each side of it so that we can have basically four waterers and uh, of course it's surrounded by concrete pad with gravel on top so that it's a heavy use area so it doesn't get you know if we didn't have the the concrete and the gravel then it would be you know three feet lower where they've been walking so much yeah, and probably somewhat dangerous to their health at some point if we get some heavy rainfalls. I know yeah. that uh, our other graduate student, Audrey, who just finished up, was working uh, on our research farm related to some of these conservation practices and the before and after images of what the areas looked like, um, where cattle were using, mm -hmm. you know, the watering troughs and feeding areas before the heavy use pads went in. It's just mm -hmm. like much safer for the animal, but also reduces erosion and, and yeah. all the, you know, all these different benefits just to keep your land intact and usable mm -hmm. and not just kind of washing away. Right. Okay. Cross fencing. Yes, we have cross fenced. Uh, that was helped out. You know, that was helped with by the NRCS. Um, mm -hmm. Let me think of some more. I'm trying to think of some of the other more common ones. I know sh shade structures can be pretty common in a livestock setting. Yeah, we haven't done that just because we have trees. Uh, yes, ma'am. We have a lot of basically every pasture has a patch of hardwoods on it. So oh, nice. Uh, that's cool. good for squirrels and deer and everything. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. So so you've got these different conservation practices on the farm. You're seeing quail. You're almost finished with your program here at State. You've right. got one more semester in your undergrad. Finally. So aside from m potential professional pathways, what's your 
kind of vision for the farm in the future? What are some things you uh, might want to try that's different than what you're currently doing? Well, like I mentioned in the last episode, the main reason for the cows, the whole business is for like a way for me to pay for college. Uh, like I would be able to do it, you know, just working through it and, you know, maybe have a loan here and there, but, and I'm sure, you know, my parents help out and stuff, but you know, when they had two kids in college, middle-class family, you know, that's kind of, that's pretty, you know, it, not real fun for them. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, that was uh, the main th- reason for this is to pay for school. And so I really can't be as adventurous, I guess would be the word uh, with conservation right now. But once I get out and, you know, have a job, full-time job and other ways to pay for things, uh, I would like to get more into trying the, uh, well, trying a lot of things, but one thing would be um, maybe some native grass plantings instead of the invasive grasses that we have right now. Uh, but, you know, like I said, I, I kind of need to wait to get out just because they're so, so much slower growing and not as, you know, Actually, I, I would be mis you know I would be misspeaking if I said they were anything about the nutrition of them, but they're just so much slower growing that that's why a lot of people have the invasives right now. But yeah, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of things I would like to try. I could talk to you for about a, for an hour about things I want to try, but no, that's what I'm, I'm that's what I'm curious about because I know um, I know just a little bit about livestock production, and certainly our specialists here at the <laughs> university. Um, are the the folks I lean on for like the latest science in terms of mm-hmm. Brett Rushing, Rocky Lemus, just fantastic forage specialists. Um, but I'm always in, I'm more interested in like at the systems level that how that all integrates for you know a farmer to still make money, but um, to have that conservation kind of plugged in in mm-hmm. a way that works for profitability, but for the environment. And so. Um, and so, you know, I, I know a little bit, a little bit about some of the different techniques um, or different things you might try. And as you mentioned, establishing native grasses, that can be really difficult, actually, mm-hmm. very, to, very to get the seed bank started yeah. after you've got Bermuda, Bahia, and Fescue kind of very expensive. established. Yeah, and a lot more intensive management, like just mm-hmm. time. Right. Which, as you and mentioned. It's kind of hard know. to do from two hours away right now while I'm in school, too. Right. Right. Yeah. So you'll definitely have more time and and resources in general to start tinkering with things. Mm. Um, You mentioned some rotational grazing. Do you have any ideas about um, changing grazing patterns or? um... Well, like you mentioned, I would have a lot more time so we could really manage things even from what they are now, manage them a lot better, just being able to rotate them on a more consistent basis just because you know, like I said, I'm two hours away from there. Uh, my dad's there. He's, you know, but he has a full-time job. And so he's, he can't do a, as much as he would like. So, uh, so yeah, there would be a, once I have time and could possibly be closer, it would help a lot, but who knows after I get out of school, I might, you know, I might have a job in South Mississippi or Texas or whatever. So I don't know. Yeah. You don't want to unclear. Yeah. Right. You don't want to over plan. Um, thinking about where you were like this time last year or the year before, do you feel like your, your approach and, and thinking have changed quite a bit from just in general, as you go through, <laughs> as you go through your program and apply that to your 
land management? Do you feel like every year you're just like all these new light bulbs going on? I feel like weekly it changes <laughs> at this point because <laughs> now that I'm in the upper level wildlife classes and upper level animal science classes, everything is just kind of, it's coming fast. And uh, yeah, you know, it's not, nothing's really arguing with one with each other as far as like in the wildlife program or in the animal science program, but both animal science and the wildlife are kind of button heads. As so, yeah. It's kind of two different perspectives. Like uh, are you aiming for? So I have to, mm -hmm. I have to kind of learn to balance that uh, with my thinking and the farm thinking. Uh, I always lean towards the conservation side of it just because that's how I guess I've kind of came up thinking about. Um, but yeah, uh, that's, yeah, that's it's very, it's Go very ahead. hard to differentiate the two once you're in the program. Uh, yeah, it's two really different approaches for land management, both with really, you know, clear goals. So how you just, as you said, balance them for your, for your own goals too, and integrate mm -hmm. them with your own ideas, about how you want to manage your land. That's really, that's really cool. And I asked specifically because, um, you know, thinking about what your vision is today, I feel like when we do season three next next year, we're going to have to get you back on because you'll be in a totally <laughs> different place a year yeah. from now when you've graduated, maybe taken a master's position with our program. We don't yeah, know. Yeah, I'll talk you into it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we appreciate you sharing, you know, so much about yourself, your background, your operation, and just kind of your um, – your pathway into this, both through school and, and farming, because it's really, you know, I think just sharing those stories are really important for other people to hear that there's a million different ways to not only get into farming, but to manage land and a lot of really valuable resources to pull from as you, as you learn more about it. Um, and just to, to ask like one final question, do you feel like you'll ever get to a place knowing what you know now, where you've got all the information you need? I feel like, if I ever think that I have all the information I need, then I need to quit doing farming and quit my wildlife yeah. <laughs> profession. Because it feels like, well, I guess it's the point of science is to answer a question with another question. And it's kind of the same with, uh, the kind of the same with the farmer thing. It's like, you know, you think you have an answer for something and then you have two other questions that come up after that. So it's just, if I ever feel like I know everything, then something's bad wrong. Yeah, no, I appreciate that because especially, you know, even when we're trying to share different information like this on the podcast, some days I catch myself and I'm like, am I being redundant? People already heard <laughs> this, but there's really, there's so much information out there. I could do 1 million episodes and we still, you know, wouldn't be able to capture all the science around mm -hmm. these really complex topics. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you again. We appreciate yes, it. And we hope to have you back on in the future. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. As always, you can find more information on our website or in the show notes after the show. And we always want to acknowledge and thank our primary sponsor, the Mississippi Natural Resources Conservation Service, for their support of this podcast. Thanks for joining us for Coffee and Conservation. To find out more about the topics discussed, visit the REACH website at reach.msstate.edu or the Mississippi State University Extension Service website at extension.msstate.edu.